0: So today's daf is Yud Aleph, and we are uh, beginning on the Mishnah, Yud Yud Amud Bet, towards the bottom. It's like uh, five lines from the wide line, where the wide lines begin. Rabbi Yehuda Yehuda says, Mm -hmm. So this is, um, the way the Gemara is going to first understand this, and the way that we could understand it are are, uh, two different ways. Um, the Gemara is going to understand this in a way that maybe is, doesn't seem to fit with how we would assume it. Uh, it's meant to be understood. But Rabbi Yehuda says, you search for chametz the night of the 14th, which is the night before the Seder night, and the morning of Erev Pesach, and at the time that you're burning the chametz, which is up to midday on Erev Pesach. So according to Rabbi Yehuda, there are three times... Of searching for Chametz. Now, the Gemara is going to initially understand this as meaning that Rabbi Yehuda means you actually have to search for Chametz three times. But that's not the simple sense of the Mishnah. The simple sense of the Mishnah is that there are three opportunities. If you miss the first one, you do the next one. If you didn't check, the night of the fourteenth, then you should check in the fourteenth. If you didn't check on the fourteenth, check Now Rashi also has a very idiosyncratic and particular way of interpreting this mishnah that everybody else disagrees with, right? That what it means by is the time that everyone is destroying chametz. According to Rashi, means you can search up to the beginning of the holiday. You can, but according to Rashi, yep. you never search. After Erev Pesach, never, you never do that. Okay, so according to Chachamim. Now, most of the other Rishonim disagree with this. And they say, no, that's not what it means. Tosfot here uh, brings up uh, brings this up, and the Rambam brings this up, and the Shulchan Aruch does not follow Rashi, follows the, the other way. That what it means by Betocha Moed is even if you didn't search for chametz before Pesach began, you still have to search for it during Cholam Moed. Literally, Betocha Moed means on the holiday of Pesach. Yes, and... Uh, true, but you still have to get rid of it because now it's chametz shavar lava pesach. Even if you do bitul, if you own chametz during pesach, you still have to get rid of it. And laharam moed means even after the holiday. Meaning, if a person did not check for chametz before the holiday, they just did bitul. Let's say, but then they they so then the holiday passes and they realize that you know they never searched for chametz to make sure they had gotten rid of it. So they have to look around and make sure that there's nothing that they left over the holiday that they needed to get rid of, and they would need to burn that even after the holiday. That's the way the halacha goes. But the way the Rashi says that no, 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 there's no such thing as. Once the holiday begins, it's too late, Uh, you know. But according to others, no. Even lachara moed, even after the holiday, means that even after Pesach, you still have to search because if you left, let's say, bags of uh, pretzels and you you never got rid of them, so even though you did b'tul, so maybe you didn't violate the deoraita of owning the the chametz, but banan chametz shavar lava Pesach since it was in your possession during Pesach, you would have to burn it. So that's that's the way most interpret it. Now you could see why the rab why the gemara is going to initially assume that Rebbe Yehuda means you have to check three times because. The rabbis are very clear and they say, if you didn't check the night of the 14th, then you should check in the morning. Rabbi Huda doesn't say that. So is going to initially assume that he means you have to check all three times no matter what. We'll see. Now, Finally, what you leave over from the Bedika the night before, the, before Erev Pesach, you have to put it in a sort of secure, private place, because you don't want it to happen that some other creature, whether a small human or a small animal, takes it and puts it in a place where you're not going to be able to find it, and then you're going to have to be searching for the missing donut, all of Erev Pesach. Um, so therefore you should put it in a, in a secure place like we learned yesterday. Now, Gemara says, Now again, the Gemara is going to assume that Rabbi Yehuda means you actually have to check for chametz three times. It seems like a little bit of overkill. The night before, and then the morning, and then biur at the time that everyone's burning Chametz. So Gemara says, of, So, uh, there are three times it describes getting rid of Chametz in the Torah. The first one is it says, It shall not be seen to you. The uh, Chametz and the Seor should not be seen. And again, Seor, as I always mention, does not mean yeast. As many times people, uh, for some reason, they, uh, they mistranslate it as yeast. Yeast is actually not Chametz at all. It's uh, it, it has nothing to do with chametz at all. Um, the, the seor of the torah is a type of a is a type of a starter dough. It's a type of a very intensely leavened dough that's used to uh, to uh, cause other doughs to rise. It's not. Yeast, yeast is just a plant, um, and anyway, uh, or a fungus or something. But shivati <laughs> is the other, the other pasuk for seven days. Seol should not be found in your houses. And on on the first day, which we said is the day before pasach you should get rid of chametz from your houses. So all of these three psukim. So according to the way that now the they're interpreting Rabbi Yehuda, that he actually says you have to search for chametz three times to say oh, because there's three psukim that say you're not allowed to have chametz. And so then there's three bedikot. Now the thing is, Matir Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef raised an objection, Rabbi that it says, anybody who didn't check during these three periods, cannot check for chametz anymore. So the implication is that Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim are only arguing about what is your status if you already <laughs> passed the time. Meaning after the time of the Biur chametz is where they argue, right? Not that, that Rebbe, in other words, the way that the, that the Mishnah is, that we're reading the Mishnah, is, there's two arguments here. One is, do you have to only check chametz, for, chametz three times? Right? For one time or three times? Rabbi Yudah saying you have to check three times. And the Chachamim is saying one time. That's one issue. And the other issue is, once the time of burning chametz <coughs> ends, do you still have the option or the obligation to check for chametz? Okay, that these are two questions. But you see from this that no, the only argument is whether after these three periods of time pass, meaning after midday on Erev Pesach, whether there's still a mitzvah of checking for chametz. That's the only issue between Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim. Not that Rabbi Yehuda also says you have to check three times. Okay, so then more Zutra Matnehachi. more Zutra had a different version of this discussion in which it becomes clearer. That that begins with Rav Yosef raising the objection of Rabbi Yehudam in this version it says very clearly anybody who doesn't search in one of these three times meaning he's giving you three options, not that you have to do all three, it's three options, that's very clear in this version of the Barita, that shows you, alma right, that shows you that the only Machloket is whether you're able or obligated to do b'dikat chametz after Chatzot Haver Pesach the question is not whether you have to check three times or one time everybody agrees that it's only one time the question is if once you pass Chatzot of Erev of Pesach, there is still an obligation to check for chametz, and again, according to Rashi, even that obligation, according to the Chachamim, only goes to the beginning of Pesach. According to other Rishonim, it goes all the way to after Pesach. You would still have to check for chametz to make sure you don't have any leftovers. Right, he's saying right, but in the Mishnah, he says moed means yeah. moed biur. Yeah. Right, he doesn't mean it doesn't mean moed the holiday. He's, so it's a little bit of a non-literal reading of the word moed. Um, uh, he uses it also. What? Then right, then he once he defines the term, so then he could he could use the term b- based on his own definition, he gets to define his terms and then use them that way. But Ella Lo he's talking about if you didn't check, meaning you have three options. If you didn't check at night, you check in the morning. You didn't check in the morning, check up to the time of the burning of Khamitz. <laughs> The question is basically this: Once the prohibition, the biblical prohibition of eating chametz begins, which is at midday on Erev Pesach, so are you allowed to search for chametz? Rabbi Yehuda says you're not allowed to search for chametz because maybe you're going to throw, you're going to eat it. Now you know you're searching around for the chametz, you're handling chametz. Maybe once the time comes of the prohibition, you shouldn't touch it because you, you might put it in your mouth. You see a cookie, you're getting rid of the cookie, you eat it, right? The Chachamim say no, we don't make such a there's no such gzera that you have to worry that that the person is going to eat the chametz that he's that he's collecting. So the point is on the let's say a person was delayed, big time, and they come in right before the sedar. They come in the afternoon before the sedar. It's very late. They didn't search for chametz the night before. They got they got detained. Okay, they didn't search for chametz the night before. They didn't search for chametz up till now. It's already the prohibition of chametz began. Can they search for Chametz now? Rabbi Uda would say, don't do it. Just do Bitul. Why? Because if you go around handling Chametz, maybe you're gonna throw a cookie in your mouth, you're gonna eat the, you're gonna eat the cookie. Chamim say, no, we're not worried about that. We'll see why. Okay, but first of all, does Rabbi Yehuda really make such gzerot? Because whenever we claim that a rabbi makes a certain gzerah, we have to look at his record and see if that's the type of gzerah he normally advocates. So, would he normally say that? But now we learn so we know that there is a prohibition called the isru Hadash, that a person that we're not allowed to eat from the grain of the new crop from. Uh, from the beginning of the season until the Korban HaOmer is brought on the second day of Pesach. Once the Korban HaOmer is brought on the second day of Pesach, now you're able to eat from the new grain. So the issue was, uh, it says that once they would come out from having offered the Korban HaOmer, which was on the second day of Pesach, (coughs) which is Cholom in (coughs) Israel, of course, once they've done that, so uh, they would come out and they would see that the Shukei Yerushalayim, the marketplaces of Jerusalem, are full of flour and parched grain. In other words, people had already gone before the holiday, obviously, because you're not allowed to do that kind of agricultural work even on Cholamoid. Before before Pesach began, they went out in the fields and they harvested all of the grain that was going to be ready and they had it already set to go. And so as soon as the Korban Omer was brought, they were able to eat it, so it was already ready for to, for buying. Okay, they could purchase it already. What does that mean? It means that they were handling the grain, which was chadash, which at the time that they were handling it before Pesach was not allowed to be eaten. They were handling it, and then on Cholam moed when the korban haomer was brought, it was already ready. So that means that we don't have a problem with people touching the the, the chadash in advance. Okay, now and that and according to the first the first view. Of the Mishnah says here, as we turn to Yud Aleph Amud Aleph, Shelo this was done against the will of the Chachamim, meaning really the rabbis didn't want you to do that. They didn't want you to touch the Chadash until the Korban Omer was brought. Rabbi and but Rabbi Uda said that was okay with the rabbis that they did that. <coughs> ah, so why? So over here you're saying to me that he's worried about you going to search for Khamet because you might eat it. But over there he's not worried that they're going to be preparing grain and all this that's chadash before the Korbanah omer is brought. Why not? Okay? So Villokagaza <coughs> Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi Uda clearly was not concerned about that. So Dilma Atel Michalmina that maybe they're gonna eat from it. Now why not? What's the difference? It's the same thing? So it says, Amar ava, ava said, And according to the site, it should say, Rabba. Okay? Shanei chadash. Chadash is different. Why is chadash different? Shelo yede kituf because they only allowed them to, since they were harvesting it prior to the Korbanah Omer. they were only allowed to do it by hand. They weren't allowed to use tools. They had to do it in a very difficult way to remind themselves that they were not yet allowed to eat it. So that was a way to remember fine, when they're pulling it out of the ground, they have to do it in an unconventional way, but what about when they're grinding it? What about when they're sifting it? You're saying that it was a finished product ready to be sold in the, in the shuk when people came out from the Kobana Omer. So obviously they did all this processing before the Yom Tov, before it was permitted to be eaten. So how did they remember not to throw a little bit in their mouth? They had to use a hand grinder, and when they used this, Receive, they had to use a. They had to use it upside down. In other words, the point is that they would have to do all this preparation in a way that was uh, unusual, and that way, because it was unusual, they would remember not to eat from it. Okay, that was the only. Per- the permission was only granted if they did it in an unusual way. Okay, right, with the had What about what we learned in the Mishnah? <Spanish> Subsequently, they called It says that they were allowed to harvest from the beta shelachim. This is talking about. Basically, from fields where uh, th- that were not considered as high quality there were means that means um the places that they had to, uh, they had to irrigate by hand. They weren't, they weren't naturally irrigated. There wasn't enough water naturally, so the the crops that they would yield were not as high quality. Or the ones that grew in the valley uh, were not as high quality. maybe they didn't get as much uh, as much sun or whatever, so they, they were not as high quality. These were not, this was not the kind of uh, flour that you would be allowed to use for the korbanah omer. And since it's not the kind of flour that you'd be able to use for the korbanah omer, so they they didn't prohibit you from uh, harvesting. This kind of uh, of uh, of um, of grain uh, prior to the Omer, uh, and and you see that even though you, so even though you're allowed to harvest it normally, because it says kotrin, even though lo gochi means you don't they didn't pile it up. In other words, they didn't finish the process until after the Korban Omer was brought, but they did harvest it normally. It says kotrin; <laughs> they they harvested it normally. So, how could they do that? Even though it's not the kind of grain that could be used for the Korban Omer, it's still not allowed to eat it before the Korban Omer is brought. So, how could they even handle it? So, so that's, that's a big problem. So, Michael, khadash Abaye says something that the OU would be very sh- shocked to hear. People stay away from khadash naturally because they're not allowed to eat it all year round. Chametz, lo badilmine. people are not uh, so care- They're used to eating it all- 358 and days of the year. You're eating khametz. Oh, maybe if I take off Yom Kippur and fast days. Okay, you know, <laughs> fine. You know, 350 days a year, right? You eat Chametz. Okay, then, then all of a sudden I can't eat Chametz. It's a new thing, so I'm not used to it. So that's, you know, so, I'm, I'm, so it's possible that I'm searching for the Chametz and I see a nice cookie. I say, why should it go to waste? And I eat it. But Chadash ch- people were trained very well. You don't touch the new grain until the Korban Omer is brought, so nobody would touch it. They were used to not touching it for all this time. They knew that they had to wait, so because they knew that they had to wait, it wasn't an issue. Okay, but what, but the, so Chometz people won't stay away from because they're habituated to eating chametz all the time, which is one of the reasons why there's all these gzerahs about not having chametz, even if it doesn't belong to you, you have to build a wall, you have to do this, you have to separate it, you're not allowed to have it close by because easily it's easy to take from it because you're not trained to avoid it. Okay? <laughs> Amar av Yehuda, Amar av A-Rava said, dir-bi-yuda, dir-bi-yuda So you raised the problem of Rabbi Yehuda against Rabbi Yehuda. And you made a distinction, but dir-hab-banan, dir-hab-banan, you don't see any problem with, uh, uh, with, with, the, with the rabbis? The rabbis don't make the gzerahs they don't make a decree that you can't search for chametz when chametz is prohibited. They're not worried that you're going to eat it. But over here by the Chadash, they aren't. Right? Over there, they're not worried. Here, they are worried. When it, it was Shiloh Birzon Chachamim. Meaning the rabbi is, according to Rabbi Meir, who represents the opposition against Rebbe Huda, right? And we're assuming is the Chachamim. So, so you're saying over here that they, th- there's a contradiction in Rebbe Meir as the representative of the Chachamim, that when it comes to Chadash, he's stricter than ha- Chametz. You explained why to be stricter by Chametz than Chadash, because Chametz naturally, people don't habitually avoid Chametz; They eat it all the time. Uh, uh, chadash, people don't. But what's the reason for the reverse? Why do the Chachamim have the opposite? Didn't you notice that there's also a contradiction? Uh, there's a contradiction? So it says that when it comes to Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda, we get a kasha We already have an answer for Rabbi Yehuda, but the namilokasha. Who In other words, the, so the logic of the rabbis is a, a, a different type of psychology. In other words, Rabbi Yehuda's a, a, a psychological argument is that Hametz, a person is naturally habituated to eating, so therefore they might throw it in their mouth without thinking. And, but Chadash people are staying away. The rabbis say, no, no. The issue is that when you're collecting chametz to destroy it, who he's going to destroy it. He's going to eat it? No, he knows that it's something he doesn't want. That's the whole action he's doing is an action of destroying it, right? So there's a reason to believe that it's like if a janitor comes and he's cleaning garbage off the table, he's going to eat from the garbage? Probably not right? In other words, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming the best of it, right? So he throws it away. So the person is, in the same way, he's throwing it out, he's getting rid of it, but the chadash, he's collecting it to eat, right? He's harvesting it to eat later on after the, after the omer, but he's collecting it to eat, so it's like a person who's preparing a meal, sometimes they taste a little bit from the meal, ahead of time, right? They, t- they take a little bit, right? So that's, the chachamim are saying it doesn't go by the psychological attitude towards the food, it goes by what kind of action you're doing. And if the action you're doing is destroying it, so there we, you're, you're rejecting the Chametz, so you're, you're not gonna put it in your mouth, you know you're burning it. Right When it comes to chadash, you're collecting it to eat. Maybe you uh, th- without thinking, you're, you're getting ready to eat it, you're going to take a taste of it. So that's the, that's the distinction that they make between them. Aravashi throws out an answer here that ends up getting very quickly rejected by the Gemara, but it's still recorded in the Gemara, which is, I think, really interesting that the Gemara is fit to bring these things that people say off the cuff, because even though... Uh, you know, it just shows you that they were very intellectually honest. You know, if somebody said something off the cuff and it got rejected, they still recorded it to show that you have <laughs> put an idea out there. Right? So what did Ravashi say? He says, I'll give you an answer. Or some have Kemach Kalitnan. But either way, the idea is that it says there that what did they have out in the sh- in the shulk? They had parched grain. The parched grain is kemach. It's, um, it's, uh, it's flour that's used for other things, so it's not actually edible. That's why they were allowed to have it. They were, they were allowed to put it out there in the shuk, because it wasn't edible, to begin with. Okay? So they, so that's why. But if they had beautiful uh, you know, loaves, I mean, it couldn't be actually bread, because it would mm-hmm. be during Pesach. But if they had like other things made with the, with the kemach, maybe it wouldn't be allowed. But it's because it's inedible. That's why. But the Gemara says, veha... This statement of, of Rav Ashi is a, is a mistake. Baduta means like something, that he made it up. It was, it was not a good answer. It was off-the-cuff answer. Atenach Right? It's very nice that once they parched it and they toasted it into flour, that it wasn't edible. But what about up to that point when they, were with the fl- when they were working with the grain and it wasn't inedible yet? And if you're going to go back to Rava's answer and say, well, they must have prepared it up to that point in ways that reminded them that they weren't allowed to eat from it. Like they could only do it by hand, they could only do the sieve upside down and all that. But we already said, that when it came to the uh, less, the lower quality, the lower grade uh, 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 produce, they were allowed to harvest it normally, even before the bringing of the Omer, without having to make any change. We said that was Rabbi Yehudah, so what are you going to say about that? Meaning you're really going to have to go back to the same uh, explanation we had before, which is, oh, when they prepared this flower, they must have done it in an unconventional way to remind them that they weren't allowed to taste from it. But we already showed that that wasn't uniform, because when they went to uh, collect grain from the lower grade, Uh, produce they didn't have to observe any shinui in the way that they collected it so you see that that wasn't a concern so that's why we rejected that interpretation to begin with and we went to the idea that the reason why Rebbe Yehuda says they're allowed to handle the chadash is simply because it's something that people naturally stay away from Okay, not because it's inedible but people naturally stay away from it rather, this statement of Rav Ashi we reject the uh, statement of Rav Ashi it was just said a, uh, like I would say, an off-the-cuff statement. It was a statement that he said, you know, he threw out there as about. oh, maybe it's just because it was Kali. They said, no, 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 that can't be because then you, you know, when you really think it through, you see that it doesn't work out. And that's, you know, like I said, part of the, um, I think, the beauty of the the, the the Gemara is that it's so honest. You know, I've said before, like it'll say this, Rabbi got angry, he was insulted, he was offended, the person. you know, it's it's very... It, it wants us to see that the Chachamim are human beings they sometimes give answers that the answer wasn't even worth discussing, it was, it was off but it was the first thing that came to his head so he said it, you know, in, the, in, a, in a discussion it's okay sometimes to be open, you say certain things and then you say, okay, you're right, I didn't really think about it, I made a mistake and that's totally fine and you could say, I'm just like, I'm no, le- I'm no uh, less than Rav Ashi, if Rav Ashi could do that then I can do that, right? That's a, that, Okay, so now, the problem is when Rabbis say a lot of things that are nonsense and they don't retract it <laughs> Right? Rabbi Ashi, afterwards they said that's nonsense. He said, You're right. That, 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 that's, what, that's what we don't see today. Anyway, now, Is it really true that Rabbi Yehuda would, uh, would make a gzerah in every case? In other words, once you're saying that the reason why Rabbi Yehuda doesn't make a gzerah, uh, it makes his <coughs> zera the case of chametz is because people don't naturally separate themselves from chametz. They're habituated normally to eating chametz, so they're going to they might eat it. So we don't allow searching for chametz during the time that chametz is prohibited. That's what you're saying. But vatanam we learned in the Mishnah that lo yikov adam Everyone should recognize this. Okay, from bameh a person can't make a hole in the b'tza. In the uh, in the eggshell, and you fill it with oil. Um, the, now, what would they do? They would take the uh, they would take an eggshell. They would put the oil in the eggshell, and the actual wick it should be al right? right? Not betad. Uh, but the the point is, they would they would put it on. Um, they would put it, uh, let's say, a, as a separate thing over it, hanging over it on a stand or whatever, they would put the oil in there and it would drip into the flame. And instead of having like, we would normally have a candle that has the oil in, and the wick in one container. This was dripping down. And what was the concern? The concern was, since the oil is separate from the actual wick, the actual wick and the actual flame and it's like dripping in, you might just take some of that oil, put it on your bread, you know, and it's, 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 you don't really feel like you're taking away from the candle. You might not take out of a candle. You're not going to take that oil, but since it's separate and then you're going to cause the extinguishing of the flame and that, that would be a problem. So it says you shouldn't do that. Even if it's made of cheres, meaning even if this quote-unquote eggshell is made of um, earthenware, because earthenware would make the oil disgusting, so there wouldn't be a concern about people actually coming to take from that oil because earthenware <laughs> would be, you know, was used, would, would, would make the oil uh, distasteful. But still, you shouldn't do it because of the concern that somebody might take from the oil if it's a separate, in a separate container. Rabbi Yehuda, matir. Rabbi Yehuda says it's okay. Now, wait a second. Shouldn't he make a over there that a person doesn't have any uh, issue with, uh, with taking oil? And and you are saying that Rabbi Yehuda, whenever whenever there is a concern, in other words, when there is a, a a reason that the person has an aversion to something and they won't take from it, that's where Rabbi Yehuda doesn't make a zirah, But when there is the <laughs> beautiful oil in the cup right there, well, why is he not making and telling you not to set up and make a setup like that? So the answer is, he says, well, because there it's a different issue. Right, over there. Uh, Hilchot Shabbat, Shabbat is very strict. So Rabbi Yehuda is still following the same principle. When a person doesn't need the gzirah because the situation is either habitually, he stays away from the item, or because the prohibition is so strict of Shabbat, he's not going to touch it. So we can rely on that. He doesn't need a to prevent it. But let's look at if that's true then across Hilchot Shabbat. We want Rabbi Yehuda to be consistent here. So let's see. Does he really apply that rule across Shabbat and he never makes gzirot about Shabbat? Is that really true? Because Shabbat is so strict you never going to make a about Shabbat? <laughs> Let's see. Let's see. Detanya learned in bright Delish, If you have a bucket that's connected by a rope and the rope broke you should not retie the rope because you're going to make a permanent special type of knot that's going to be permanently on that uh on that bucket but you make an aniva uh, you just make like a bow tie and that should be enough for temporarily no you shouldn't put a rope at all you should wrap around like a cord or a belt around it don't make any kind of a a, a bow or anything do not make a bow. Just don't make a bow. Just wrap it around and you could Plaster. wrap... Uh? Uh, well, it, yeah, you just make like a... Yeah, you recoil it around and that'll be enough. So, So the question is why... And, and So the question is why here are the rabbis not concerned that the person is going to come to make a permanent knot with the bucket and they allow you to make a bow And whereas uh, Rabbi Yehuda is concerned that, uh, and and you just said before that Rabbi Yehuda is very lenient about making gzerot on Shabbat because a person already doesn't want to violate Shabbat. So they said like this, There's a difference. The rabbis will say when it comes to oil in a cup, a person sees oil in a cup, they don't think, oh, well, it's dripping into the candle or not dripping into the candle. It's not of one piece with the candle, so what's the difference if I take the oil right? Yeah, they they, they could get it confused. But nobody's going to confuse tying the proper knot with making a bow. Everyone knows you're making, you're doing a different action. So if you're doing a different action, you don't have to be worried, okay? You're also misunderstanding Rabbi Yehuda, because it's not because Rabbi Yehuda is making a gzera here. As we've seen before, Rabbi Yehuda actually holds that making bows is itself considered because it's, con- it's inso- itself considered a not. He holds no, it no, that's no, Isur Deoraita, yeah. He holds, I mean, he holds it's Isur Deoraita, we've seen before. He doesn't make a distinction between tying and between uh, aniva. So therefore, that's the reason why he says not because he's making a gzirah, because he holds that that's an Isur De to make aniva. Okay? So, so that, the bow tie. That's, so he would say tying your shoe an Isur De Seemingly. Right? So, that's, uh, so now it says so uh, let's see if the rabbis are consistent. The rabbis say you can tie the uh, the this bucket with a like a belt sort of thing, but not with a rope. I'm sorry, Matir. Yudah permits, meaning he permits a rope. What do you mean he permits a rope? For what? He said before you can't. If you're talking about a regular rope, Rebbe Yudah matir, right? And, and, and Rebbe Yudah is saying it's permitted. That's like the definition of the prohibited type of tying. Tying a rope onto a bucket, permanent tying. Right? Devadai vadai is He's gonna leave it there permanently and it's gonna be a problem. de gardi. We're talking about the weaver's rope. It's like more like a cord that the weaver would use for his work. Okay? gazura banan And the rabbis are saying it's a gzerah. Don't use a cord of a worker, even though you know it's only temporary because he's going to say, hey, where's my cord? I need to do my work. You know, give me, I gave it to you for a few minutes to tie the buck. You give it back. It's not going to be permanent. But they're worried that you're going to end up using a permanent one, right? And they say that therefore you can't use that. Right? So again, why do the rabbis over there, they're concerned that you're going to confuse one rope with the other. Right, so, uh, so, what's the, so why are they not concerned that, let's say, you'll confuse, uh, uh, let's say, uh, aniva with kshira, you're going to confuse making a bow with tying a knot. So they said, no, because it's one thing, the, the, the rope could be mixed up. You say, what's the difference? Both of them are ropes. One is a permanent rope that you're going to leave there, a rope that you're going to take back. Okay? But aniva lo They said that you're not going to mix up aniva, bow tying and regular tying. So they were more lenient. So the point is that they're bas- They're basically saying that when there are two activities that are uh, different from one another, there we rely on a person 's judgment when there are two items that might be similar, and the person has to evaluate the item and say, "Well is this bottle of is this jar of oil?" Uh, permitted to take from or not permitted to take from, is this rope permitted to use or not permitted to use, when it comes to evaluating the item, they're more suspect that a person will blur the categories. When it comes to the action that they're doing, the rabbis are more confident that a person will judge properly. Okay, but Rabbi Yehuda is judging based upon only an individual's aversion to something. If they feel very comfortable doing something normally, then when you come to prohibit it, they're going to need more of a reminder. When someone's not normally comfortable, you can, or, they, or they're afraid of violating Shabbat, then you have less mm-hmm. of a need to make zerot. Right. Is it really true that, uh, that Rabbi Yehuda does not make zerot? Uh, in a case where a person would normally be afraid to uh, violate the rule, we said that if you have a bochor, it's actually a mishnah, it's not a it's not a baita, right? It should say vatnan, right? The mishnah says that if you have a bochor that has she'achazo it has a condition, medical condition, and it needs bloodletting, okay? So the problem is this bochor is given to the Kohen. The Kohen is not supposed to create a mum. In his bchor, that's one of the uh, first of all. Nobody's supposed to make a in any make a blemish in any korban, but especially the kohen is always suspect of doing that because the kohen, if he makes a in the he gets to keep it and he doesn't have to bring it to the Beit Hamikdash, and it's a benefit to him. So we're always suspicious of the Kohan Name on that, right? So this bchor Even if this Bukhor is gonna die and makizin lo no medical, no medical uh, intervention for this uh, bchor. Even if you could do it in a way that would not create a moom, you're not allowed to do it because we're worried that a person will come to do something that will create a mum. And the rabbis say, <laughs> They said, you know what? Let him do bloodletting as long as he doesn't create a blemish. Now what's the machloket <laughs> What's the reason? So why doesn't Rabbi Yehuda say that? No, the person recognizes the holiness of the Korban. He's not going to want to do anything wrong. Right and and therefore we shouldn't have to make a Let him do something as long as it doesn't make a mum. He's not going to want to make a mum because he's going to be careful. So the rabbis say hatam mitoch shadam baul al mamono amrinan makom she'en osin makom The problem is that since a person is baul al mamono, this kohen doesn't want to lose this b'chor. Right, he, he's been waiting for this. He has a barbecue coming up. He doesn't want to lose it. So therefore, if he if he sees it sick. And, and maybe the bloodletting isn't working from the p- place that doesn't make a move, He's going to make a move. So therefore we say to him, forget it. You can't do anything because he'll make a mistake. However, so the rabbis say, no, the other way around. It's very interesting, very interesting, just an uh, issue in, in general to think about. When you're in panic, what's better? To just tell a person, you know what? You can't do anything. Just, just, you can't do anything. Or do you tell a person, here's a permissible thing you can do, and assume that they'll limit themselves to the permissible thing, that way they have an outlet for their panic, because there's at least something they can do. That's the question. Rabbi Yudah says just tell them, forget about it. No, it's going to be even worse. If you don't leave the person some recourse, it's like, you know, the like the a, a person walking he has to carry, he has a diamond in his pocket, he gets stuck on Shabbat. Whether you're going to just tell him to leave it there, he's going to say, forget it. If I have to just leave it here, I'm just going to carry it home, and I'm going so they said, okay, here's a solution you can use to get home, give it to a non-Jew, do this, do that. Because they realized a the person who's faced with having to lose a lot of money might not be able to withstand the temptation. It's going to end up violating Shabbat. <laughs> Similarly here, right? <coughs> is it really true that we are, that Rabbi Yehuda is concerned about people panicking over money? Rabbi Yehuda says, and really the language of it should be, I think the letters are switched, right? And Right, habema uh, biyomtav. It's a type of combing of the hair. Mipnei shuah sechaboa because this causes um a wound in the animal. It's a type of it's type of combing. Aval mekatzavin, but you can do mekatzavin, uh, which we'll see what that is in a second. Chami omrei, the rabbis say in mekadrin av in mekatzavin. They said you can't do either one. Vetani we learned in a brayt that ezul kidor ezul kitzuf. What are these two things? Kidul kitanim veosin chaboa. It one has uses a brush that has like very fine. Um, very bristles. bristles, right? And, um, and, and therefore mm-hmm. will cause, uh, cutting. Uh, and, it says, in the other one has like a big, uh, wider um teeth and therefore it will not uh, it doesn't cause it's not sharp it's not going to cause any cutting in the animal and so the so <laughs> therefore you're allowed to do it and according to the, what uh, she says is that their hair would become <coughs> like twisted with mud and things like that the animals and they would be in pain so they would want to alleviate the pain so they would they would uh, scratch it with these uh, with these combs but you see that he allows you to use the comb and he doesn't say, well, if I allow you to use that comb, the comb with the wide teeth, you're going to end up you're going to end up violating Shabbat using the finer comb that's more prickly, and you're going to harm the animal. He says no, because there it's different. Because that's two different things. With the bechor that's actually sick, so if I don't let him do so, if I let him do something, but it's not enough, he's going to be desperate to prevent it from dying, and he might violate Shabbat. But over here. If I let him, then... Uh, if, if, in other words, what's, what's the worst that's going to happen? The animal's going to be uncomfortable. An animal being uncomfortable is not going to cause the person to do something desperate. It's different than the th- a fear of the animal dying. Right? Therefore, we're not going to be worried that the person will get overwhelmed by their panic over their money. So what's the difference for Rabbi Yehuda between chametz? where he made the gezerah, that you're not allowed uh, to search once the chametz becomes prohibited, versus the combing of the animal, where he said that you're allowed to, uh, uh, that you're allowed to do one procedure, but not another. So it says, the answer is, that lechem uh, belechem echlaf bread can be confused with bread, but... Uh, but these two procedures of combing the animal will not be confused so in other words according to the rabbis Rashi says they're worried that you will be confused that if you do one (laughs) way of combing the animal you might do the other way that causes the animal to bleed and then you're you're going to be liable for causing the uh, 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 inflicting a wound on the animal but Rabbi Yudah not worried however when it comes to bread and especially because the matzah and the the bread in those days was like this thicker matzah that they had you know that uh, temani matzah it looked like pita oh, bread. bread. So a person would easily confuse it and come to eat it. And therefore he was... So even though it's true that a person would normally be afraid, like we said before, that Rabbi Uda normally says that a person would be afraid... To uh, violate the prohibition of Shabbat or Yom Tov, here he can make a distinction. He knows that one procedure is allowed and one procedure is not allowed, and he's going to be careful. But when it comes to chametz, even though the person is involved in destroying the chametz, we're still concerned that he might eat some along the way because he doesn't. Necess- it doesn't necessarily occur to him that what he's holding in his hand is something he's allowed to eat, not allowed to eat. For a minute, he'll forget himself and he'll uh, he'll eat it, and that's why he doesn't allow you to search for chametz once it becomes prohibited. The say that since you're involved in a process of destroying the chametz, it's okay. And I'll, I'll tell you the truth that one of the reasons why.